Hey gang, I am Jack Parker. I'm a missionary here at Damascus. I am the co-producer and editor of Beyond Damascus currently, and just wanted to give a little warning slash apology about the upcoming episode. The video did not record for the first five, 10 minutes of this episode. So we're going to put up a little graphic to give you visual people something to look at, as well as Aaron's audio cut it out for like four seconds. So you lost kind of what he said. Wasn't a whole lot, but still just wanted to apologize for that. Hopefully you guys won't be seeing too much of my face in the future, but thank you guys for being patient with us as we continue to learn and grow at this podcast. Thank you so much and enjoy the episode. the show where encounter meets mission. My name is Dan Dimite, and I'm joined here with Aaron Richards and Brad Piron. Yes, Hello, get the high fives How are you guys? Oh, it's been a powerhouse week. I feel like we've done so much this week. I'm it, pumped it up. It has. It's yeah. a yes. week. <laughs> yes, the God is good. I, I feel like it's like amazing. If it wasn't for daily prayer, I don't think my body would survive. Uh-huh. Like It's just that those times of peace like prepare pair us for mission. It's my starting point because I get lost everywhere else. (laughs) So if you're new to Beyond Damascus, we love to highlight how this encounter with Jesus has to propel us into a life of mission. And uh, today we're going to do a really cool episode where we talk about Generation Z, right? There's there's like, uh, I love when people start talking about generations because it's like, Mm -hmm. we're going to make statements that apply to every single person that was born between like a 15 year period. Because they're a monolith. (laughs) They're all the same. They're just this (laughs) giant blob of people. So that's what we're doing. We're just going to make massive uh, blobs of people, blobs of people conversations today. But I feel like we should call the grace of the Holy Spirit upon that conversation. So who wants to open in prayer? Brad, you're up. I think I prayed like the last five. Yeah, we always. Why are you always the go-to prayer? I think Aaron's just holier than us. So we're like, hey, Aaron, Aaron, can you you lead us in prayer? (laughs) In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you for Aaron's willingness to usually kick us off in prayer here. (laughs) But no, Lord, um, allow us to have fun with you today. Thank you so much for the gift of conversation. Thanks for the gift of yourself, and thanks for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We pray that this conversation would be guided by you, that you would give us the words to speak, and that you'd give us ears to listen and hearts to feel. We pray that you would um, bring solution and not just problem through this conversation today so that we can continue to pursue you uh, in this generation and for all the generations to come. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 In the name of the Father, Father, and the Son, and the Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we had the baby boomers. Yeah. Then we had Gen X. And then we had the millennials, and now we have what happened to Gen, Gen Z? Well, that's what I was kind of wondering as well. <laughs> Why when, do you ask? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess millennials no, technically so are Gen Y. We just call we'll them just millennials. One, Brad. But the, the real... so bad. <laughs> I shouldn't have made the joke. I, I said, "Why do you ask?" <laughs> on the Gen Y, it was really bad. That honestly. was a bad joke. That may go down as the worst, the worst joke, joke that, on I, Beyond that I've ever given. Yeah. Undoubtedly, yeah. you've yeah. made some bad. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. no, here, bring so, us back. I always wonder what happened after gen like z like where do we go do i think we go we're i think to... we're already planning on it oh. isn't it iGen? oh iGen. okay there you go. Ah, that sounds crappy yeah yeah that sounds crappy who, is that, is make, that right? who makes the determination <laughs> yeah. of what you call them is it just like a group of people that gather going i think we've ended another generation so which one should we start <laughs> go around the table yes, what, what's the name yes, of this one yeah. gonna be? i think this one should be a letter again i yeah, bet that i bet there's some social psychologist that's just like 
crushing his head right yeah. now on account of the frustration at what's happening at the stadium. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You guys are so ignorant. Um, so it's interesting, though. So we are primarily millennials. Uh, mm-hmm. Aaron and I are old millennials, as they would call us. Mm-hmm. And you're a Classic. young millennial, That's right? That's right, 94. So I was like right on the back end of millennials. Okay, there you go. There mm-hmm. you go. And uh, largely Damascus has been a millennial project up to this point, yeah. right? Like uh, Aaron, like all of our young missionaries, when we started Damascus, were we were all millennials. And mm-hmm. it's just now that we're starting to see uh, not only our Gen Z, our campers, they're the middle schoolers, they're high schoolers, but they're also now our missionaries, missionaries as yeah. well. So we have, if you will, Gen Z ministering to Gen Z, mm-hmm. which is really interesting because we used to have millennials ministering to millennials. And we've seen just in our own short time period, that generation shift. Yeah. Well, it's also, it's also crazy to think that like, uh, we now are beginning. So our, our mission staff here, right? So after yeah. your first couple years of missionary work, you enter mission staff. We now have some born in 97, 98, 99 on mission staff. So now you have mission staff members ministering to missionaries who are ministering to campers. Yeah. So you have like a yeah, an organization that's becoming more and more Gen Z. And it's interesting because I, I do think it's like, um, you see like, uh, I just, uh, I, we've welcomed a few older like baby boomers or Gen Xers to work with us over the mm-hmm. years on, on our staff. And it's so funny just the the amount of time it takes us to adjust to them and them to adjust to us. Mm-hmm. And I think the the generational differences are actually important and they're noticeable. (laughs) um, What are some just like broad, like generational things you've noticed about millennials versus Gen Z? Mm. Oh my gosh. I know. Cause we're like kind of in the cusp of ministering to both of those groups. Yeah. I, um, I, I think it might be best for me to start with. So millennials, the generation that I'm in compared to the generation before, I think had, kind of by nature, a shorter attention span. So I, I noticed that when I'm relating to like um, Gen X or boomers, they'll be able to sit down and just have a conversation longer than what I think most of the people I know in my generation desire to do. They're kind of on to the next thing. I think Gen Z is a, a lot more like that than I even notice with like us at this table. It's very much like um, they just get super excited about the next thing coming. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but I've noticed like longer meetings can be a little bit harder with that generation. It's better to kind of like, um, divide it up. But I I don't know something about the, um, the opportunities that have come to us, especially in the Western world that allow us to do a lot of things in one day, like actually have our, I think our time span sometimes reduced, which has goods and bads to it. But I think definitely a, uh, a desire to get on to the next thing and to yeah. move forward is something I see. I just love how both generations are marked by creativity and innovation, hmm. right? Like the, yeah. the, the millennial generation is they're entrepreneurs, they're creative, they're, they're hungry to think outside the box and try new mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And then you see the same thing being passed on to Gen Zers where there's just this innovative creativity, like let's think outside the box and really try to get things done. Hmm. I, it, hmm. I mean, uh, it'll be interesting to see the, whether or not that creativity and innovation is transferred fully into the church, but there's so much opportunity there. Like mm-hmm. even you're, you know, everyone's like, I, I think it's so funny whenever there's a young saint, everyone's like, oh my gosh, there's a young saint. It just <laughs> becomes this like huge deal. And you're like, yeah, but he died. But like Blessed sure, Carlo sure. is like, uh, like the the new millennial saint, right? That everyone's super excited about. And it's funny because the missional work that they always talk about that Blessed Carlo did, it mm-hmm. was 
internet-based missional work, right? That he was yep. amazed by Eucharistic miracles. He saw that there was a decline of Eucharistic uh, faith in the church, so he builds this website that highlights all the Eucharistic miracles mm-hmm. that have happened mm-hmm. in the world, and that his missional activity that we're now saying, okay, this is mm-hmm. this incredible mm-hmm. saint, let's like get excited about him, and yet his, his primary mission that we talk about was... Via the internet, which mm-hmm. is just interesting. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I don't know if I have if I have a real good kind of general grasp on on differences. The the one thing that keeps coming to my mind is is that it seems with each passing year we see a shift in how students respond to the ministry that we do here, and I I haven't really seen in any way that the work that we do is becoming less hmm. applicable. I think if anything. It's it's like it's like just the amplification of both the good and the bad have has just been increased. Yep. So, you know, if there if there was a need, a dramatic need that affected twenty percent of people five years ago, it seems like it affects seventy percent of people now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And 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 you know, when um when a mission is successful, it seems like maybe it was successful for twenty percent of people before, and now it's successful for seventy percent. Now it's like mm-hmm. it's like it's like everything everything that we are doing and engaging in seems to just uh, be impacting faster and harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that it is interesting because we have we we have certain ministry principles that we established in uh, like the early two thousands yeah. when when we started Catholic Youth Summer Camp and. So if you will, you were ministering to millennials at that time, and mm-hmm. then, but the those principles, as, as you're saying, Aaron, it it is we haven't changed much, and uh, it, you know, it will be interesting to talk about well, today's episode. What we want to look at is okay, what are what is what are the the things that are uh, um, impacting the Gen mm-hmm. Z, and how how are we responding to it? And I wonder how those timeless uh, ministry principles, how are they yeah. not only how, why were they effective for uh, millennials, but also now even more so for mm-hmm. Gen Z? Yeah. And I think you're right, because it is. It's like, yeah, if, if 25% of people struggled with this 10 years ago, 35% of people are struggling with it now. It's yeah. like the, mm-hmm. the decline is in the same direction, and so the solution just needs mm-hmm. to be bigger and bolder. Yeah, I always, I, I always enjoy these conversations because I think that we can have a tendency to um, – to tend towards how do we change this generation instead of how do we conceptualize this generation and bring what is true to them, you know, because what is even the baseline for that? Like whenever I'm thinking to myself about millennials or Gen Z, like sometimes I can find it in my own self, like a desire to be like, Mm. I wish this generation was different. Yep. But that's this like lofty, not able to act mindset. Right. But if I can say, what are the tendencies I'm seeing in this generation? What does that mean that they need? And how can I bring that? It's yep. just more effective. So I, I'm I'm excited for the conversation to yeah. wrestle with that. A well, little. I think Dan, maybe maybe you struck on a key, and if uh, I hope I'm not stealing the thunder for later on in the show, but if you steal it, I'll punch you. It's you know <laughs> the the one one thing that has been consistent. It was one you know back before we had our missionary mindsets, we identified sort of some core principles that that core values that drove our our mission forward, and one of those has always been a, an advocacy for the. Um, impact of the youth. Yeah, we right? believe in the potential of the potential youth. Potential of the youth, thanks. So huh. I, I think, you know, what we have done very intentionally is continued to 
hire and to raise up those millennials and those Gen Zs to take the reins. Yeah. So, so you know, maybe maybe that's uh, that probably is what's impacting a lot of this too. The reason the message is still applicable is because the message is the message is timeless, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but the method of delivery is something that that we're just intentionally engaging and continuing to develop. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think it's so important for the church and uh, for anyone to look at the gen the youth generation and not to just to see problems, uh, but to see opportunities. Like, right, sure. like what what makes this generation so unique and so valuable, and how how are they the solution to what the church is bringing and mm -hmm. needs today? the The Holy Spirit is going to use this young generation to lead the church into this like into the future, and how do we we need to be able to see that to mm -hmm. see their potential, to see the value, and mm -hmm. to meet them where they're at so that we mm -hmm. can bring them, not not to conform them to us, but mm -hmm. to allow the fullness of the Holy Spirit um, to transform their lives. Mm -hmm. And so much of like a generation is marked by their childhood. They Who they become as adults are is often marked by the disasters of their childhood, right? Like they have mm -hmm. major impact on the way they think, the way they process, and the... Like you, you think about like how um, World War II mm -hmm. impacted uh, the generations that followed that, the, the children who were raised during World War II, right? Th those mm -hmm. kinds of things. And the Gen Z, like they were raised in the shadow of 9-11, right? Mm -hmm. They may not have a memory of it, but they were raised in its shadow. They were raised in the shadow of the clergy scandal and the mm -hmm. epidemic mm -hmm. of uh, like uh, uh, like mass media just presenting all of the evil in all kinds of different organizations. Mm -hmm. So they were just, they grew up in the shadow of so much darkness. They grew up in the shadow of the recession of 2008, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so there's all, and now they're, they're, they're middle schoolers and high schoolers and college students that experience during critical moments of their life, the, the, mm -hmm. a global pandemic. And, and so their, their childhood is marked by some pretty significant mm -hmm. difficulties. <laughs> yes. Right. And I think sometimes we're just like, oh, they're so lazy. They're so entitled. And they, they spend so much time on video games and, mm -hmm. and like, no, but actually they, they've been raised in a period of time of incredible turmoil and instability in our nation. Mm -hmm. And so how do we have mercy on them and see that, wow, we need to minister to you in, a, in an effective way that cares for you and brings you to wholeness and healing. Yeah. Well, they're also, they're also being brought up alongside technology and innovation that we don't yet understand. Mm. Right. So like they're actually growing up alongside these technologies and things growing up. Right. So they're actually aging at the same rate. Yep. And so we're not able to pass things on to them. Like we've been able to pass things in the past on to people. There's been like mm. such an increase in innovation, such an increase in like newness, right? Like, like you said, I mean, the pandemic that we just went through pandemics in the past, a lot of people knew about them, but not everyone. And yeah. it wasn't right in front of your face all the time. But now all of a sudden, every single day, it's all I'm hearing about. Yep. And so now I'm hyper aware that yep. it's happening. And so there's this like, what do you do with that? Like when you're hyper aware of every single thing happening on a given yep. day, I was just listening to news on my ride in today. And I literally was thinking to myself, do I need to know this? Yep. You know, like this is actually affecting my day and I actually have no control over it at all. Yeah. But because I'm <laughs> listening to it, it makes me feel like I should have control over it, but I don't. Yeah. And that I couldn't imagine, right? Jump, like, jump on the bandwagon, man. <laughs> cancel, cancel the news. Cancel yeah. the news app. Yeah. Well, I think that it's globalism. They're the first generation to really grow <laughs> up under globalism, <laughs> yeah. right? Where like, yeah, like usually as a, as a young person, you're 
your world is the people around you, your mm-hmm. family, mm-hmm. your school community, your neighborhood, yeah. but their world is globalism. It's huge. And, and it's it's, huge. it is very, and, and as you said, because technology is still learning, parents are learning how to raise children in yeah. a globalist society. Yep. And how do we uh, give our children a sense of local community mm-hmm. and family mm-hmm. in the midst of a global community. Very mm-hmm. interesting. So we're, we're going to look during this episode just at, um, so Catholic News Report um, has been putting out some Catholic News Reports. Yeah. They're very, very Good for interesting. Them. Yeah. On, on brand. On, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on, on Generation Z. And they're taking um, different uh, studies like from Pew Research or Springtide Research, and they're uh, kind of analyzing Generation Z. So I thought it'd be, since we work with Generation Z, it'd be mm-hmm. good for us just to analyze that with them and yeah. analyze their analysis. Um, and great. so the 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 first thing, I guess, in the last three articles they've done, they're highlighting the three great crises that um, are marking, if you will, this uh, this generation. And they say that the first one is just this, uh, they're, they're the loneliest generation ever. Um, that if you look at the other generations, this is a lonely, loneliest generation. Secondly, they are, are a generation that's marked by distrust, right? Uh, distrust in organizations, distrust mm-hmm. in government, distrust in news, distrust in people, distrust in organized religion. And then thirdly, they have, um, they're religiously complex and confused. And so there, there's a lot of confusion when it comes to their religious beliefs, practices, and thoughts. And so what I would love to do is just go through each mm-hmm. one of these and just mm-hmm. talk a little bit about what is it, what what are they struggling with, and then how can the church be the response to it, and what are we doing at Damascus that kind of is the response to that. Mm-hmm. So the first one, they're the loneliest generation ever. So it's really, if you if you look back at the baby boomers, Generation X, millennialism, there's always been millennials, there's always been a mark of um, uh, having moments of loneliness or a time period of loneliness. Here's some of the stats, though. 48% of Gen Z youth feel that no one understands them, and the 34% of Gen Z feel completely alone. And the wild thing is, Springtide Research, they do, um, they, they, they not only research the generation, but then they really look into the Catholic data as well. And the Catholic data is not all that different, right? And so hmm. when we think, oh, okay, well, if that's the whole generation, and that, that impacts the inner city or this group or that group, the Catholic youth are, are feeling the same kind of mm-hmm. loneliness. What do you, do you guys see that in our ministry to young people, either um, mm-hmm. like college students, middle mm-hmm. schoolers, high schoolers, are you seeing a generation marked by loneliness? I, I, yes, I think is the short answer, but to, to put my thumb on what that exactly looks like, it can be challenging, you know, because you'll go to college campuses, which is where I do a lot of my ministry. And, um, I'll give a talk and then afterwards I'll be open to pray with people with some of like the leadership team at that campus or something like that. And the amount of people that come up and ask for prayer for all of the symptoms of loneliness, for like the lack of purpose, for not feeling like anyone understands them, like suicidal ideation, like all of these things that are just like markers of loneliness. um, That's where I like most clearly see that like this is real, but it's not just in those like explicit moments Mm -hmm. either, right? Like you can almost see the way someone carries themselves. Or I've even heard from some of our counselors who have counseled over the years, like just getting a small group together, right? Just to get them to begin trusting each other to share in small group, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's over time been kind of a, man, it's, it's, uh, kids aren't hanging out with groups of kids quite as often. At least it doesn't feel like it because it's like, 
these people even requested each other and it's taking me a minute to get traction. So yeah. I don't know. I think there's more implicit ways that it's seen, but I definitely have seen it explicitly through those times of prayer ministry and praise God that they were willing to be open and honest about that. And I'm grateful that the Lord works in those moments, but mm-hmm. man, sometimes you hear that and you have to pray as you're leaving that the Lord would he- like heal your heart because yeah. you, you carry some of that heaviness of like, man, that's, that's hard. So that's where I see it probably yeah. the most. Yeah, I agree. Uh, one of the, one of the big ob- observations that I was able to see especially coming off of COVID uh, that first summer, second summer, was a big increase in what what others have labeled anxiety that I think stems from this place of loneliness, right? Yeah. It was, it, it's, I mean, there are, there are certain pressures that are built into a human being and they have to be released through social interaction. It's, it's the way that our, it's the way that our minds are formed. And uh, it, you know, there's, there's just, I think in the midst of kind of this, we'll talk a little bit about technology in a bit, but um, the way that communication has transformed, it's, it's, uh, it's simpler, it's easier, mm-hmm. it's, it's less impactful, it's, you know, it's cheaper in terms of your time that you have mm-hmm. to spend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because of that, I think it's, it's ultimately less meaningful, right? So, so you have to intentionally seek like communication that's almost outside of the standard now yeah. in order for it to be meaningful. Whereas mm-hmm. before that was the only way that we did communicate and therefore it, right. it was more meaningful. Mm-hmm. So I think that, yeah, communication is, is trans is translating into loneliness. And I mean, uh, it's like kick them while they're down, man. The, yeah. the, the world exacerbated all of this mm-hmm. to a tremendous degree. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, you, huh. you mentioned something that the articles don't Aaron, and that's anxiety. And I think anxiety is probably in ministry. What I've seen it, it increased the most yeah. uh, that, um, and an, an anxiety that, um, pervades every decision they make and it's every mm-hmm. it's it's uh, they, they're anxious about big decisions and small decisions there's there there's there there's anxiety um that over nothing so like when mm-hmm. they like there's anxiety and they don't even know why they're anxious they're like mm-hmm. when you try to get to the root of what well why why are you feeling mm-hmm. this way they can't even understand where it's coming from it's just it is the world itself mm-hmm anxious you know and i yeah. I've, I've even said like i feel like there's a like a demonic stronghold in our on our culture like that is that is bringing this mm-hmm. loneliness depression anxiety on the young generation and it was ex- exasperated by covid-19 mm-hmm. and um and i think one of the things that um the research showed was cuz i think the easy thing to say and as we were sharing talking and bantering before the show mm-hmm. it is definitely a mark of it right i think the easy thing to say is okay Technology and social media has mm-hmm. a major; it could be a major cause as to what's yeah. causing this loneliness and this. There's the lack of the face-to-face interaction. There's a, um, but what the studies really highlighted was that there's a lack of trusted adults, mm-hmm. and so the, the the greatest cause of the loneliness and probably even the anxiety that young people experience is the lack of trusted ex- adults. Where I don't feel like I have anywhere to go to mm-hmm. talk about my questions. You mentioned Brad, like praying for a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. It used to be that the purpose of life was passed on from the older generation. Right. And, but the young generation, they're trying to figure out, well, what's the purpose of life? And, mm-hmm. and they don't have anyone trusted to talk to, to answer these questions. Or when they hear something about COVID-19, like a, a global pandemic or questions about human sexuality, because mm-hmm. they have no one to talk to about these things, that 
those questions mm-hmm. create anxiety and a sense of loneliness mm-hmm. inside of them. Yeah, well, I feel like I have to, um, I have to have all the answers. Is it, it like there's a natural anxiety and loneliness that comes from me thinking I have to figure it out myself, right? And and to your point, it, it used to be that the normal interaction were with the people most proximal to you, and they had things that they would share with you, and you would trust it like open handedly, and then as you grew up, mm. you would push back a little bit, but that would teach you, right? Cause you would be like coming up against something stable. But if you're just sitting there, like, I got to figure all this out. What is the meaning of life? Like no teenager is ever going to answer. What is the meaning of life? We've been asking that for like thousands (laughs) of years. So like I think sometimes that, that animus of like, I have to do this can lead to loneliness. And that is what leads to anxiety. Even when we look at like Martha in, in the scriptures, like Martha, Martha, you were anxious and worried about many things. Like it wasn't that Martha was doing things. She was doing them anxiously, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she was doing them anxiously because she felt like she had to do them alone, mm-hmm. right? So there's, there's, there's something to that intertwining of loneliness mm-hmm. and me feeling like I have to do it. Mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Uh, I don't know whether it connects with loneliness or not. I, I, one, one of the things that I, I just see that has shifted recently, and I, I think I referred to this even on a show a couple weeks ago, but uh, there was a statement that was made in regard to, Brad, kind of what you're mentioning about mm-hmm. needing to carry the weight of the entire world mm-hmm. as, I, as I listen to the news in the morning. Um, and I even, you know, I catch myself doing this. I catch my kids doing this. Uh, even our, our little four-year-old Felicity, like the, the way that information is communicated today, especially in media, is just different from how I've ever experienced it before. You know, uh, TikTok is great evidence of this. The, the Instagram, um, you know, you see the same thing on Facebook. You see the same thing on YouTube. Mm-hmm. YouTube's had a shift in the last six months even from being a tool where you go out to pursue knowledge on some topic, mm-hmm. regardless of whether it's helpful or not, yeah. <laughs> uh, to a place now where, where YouTube's, you know, big marketing push is you need to sign on for a, you know, a, a 10 second, 10 to 60 second short Yeah, these short that's, that's going to immediately connect you to the next thing. That's going to immediately connect mm. you to the next thing. It just keeps you engaged in something that ultimately is meaningless. Mm-hmm. Right. So it creates this, this, uh, this sense of like, I have to keep up with yeah, that's everything. Right. That's right. On to the next thing. Got to keep up. I've, I've got, I've got a, I've got a, I've got to have a good assessment over the entire content of my mm-hmm. entire news feed, mm-hmm. um, and ultimately, it's it's a uh, it it's impossible. It's an impossible mm-hmm. task. So I, I think maybe that lends itself more toward anxiety mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. it does. Yeah, you can probably hear the anxiety in my voice as yeah. I speak well, about anxiety. it. I'm stressed out. By <laughs> just, well, it, but it is like we're not diving into the deeper questions either. Yeah. So that those questions of the purpose of life or what does it mean to be human, we're not able to dive into them because we're just trying to keep up on everything. And so it's like you know when you tread water, you can only tread water for so long. And so yeah, if you're trying to tread without realization of of, mm-hmm. of a destination, you're going to drown. And anxiety is a vicious cycle too, right? So. I tell you that you're anxious. That makes you anxious that you're anxious. Like it's one of those things, which is, is, is so interesting because I also think, uh, again, I'm not saying it's not um, a both and situation, but sometimes we label things way too quick, yeah. like way too quickly. It's like, that's anxiety. Well, now I'm anxious. And what do I do with that? Right? Like instead of speaking what the current circumstance is, we can sometimes, uh, if we, if we stay back a little bit, we can actually 
bring in the solution instead of pointing out the problem yeah that like we could actually declare peace into it instead of labeling it anxiety mm. and i do think that we mess that up sometimes but again to aaron's yeah. point it's us feeling like we have to fix the situation we're falling into the exact same trap this is on me you're anxious we got to figure this out right yeah. like there's anxiety here like what what good is like telling a 12 year old they have anxiety it, it just doesn't help it doesn't help <laughs> yeah, I, I just i've never that. seen a kid that comes to camp that's like I just, I have anxiety that be a helpful aim for them. Mm. It, it, it bothers me. It does because mm. it's like, man, this kid, like they're caught up in, am I being anxious right now? I probably am. Cause I am anxious. It's yeah. like, well, that's an identity statement. Now we're, we're deep into identity around mm. something that might've been a temporary experience. So like it would, it would actually do us again. I was mentioning this at the beginning. Sometimes we become too problem focused and not enough solution yeah. focused, which I know is why we're going into these studies is because we need solution. Part of that's imparting peace. I was one, I was thinking the same thing, uh, Brad, as I was reading the research, um, from these research institutes, uh, the, the way they ask the question, it's like, like, well, how often are you lonely? It's like, well, that question by like, you're diving right into mm -hmm. the that like now all of a sudden I'm thinking about oh my gosh am I lonely right, right. as opposed to like like how how often do you feel loved and cared for or like yeah. I, I just wonder sometimes those a framing the, thing yeah the disposition it does create if you will a a, a cycle that can can lead to deeper darkness yeah well yeah. i wonder what you guys think about this that probably leads into the next one dan the distrust as you as yeah. you distrust <laughs> yeah. the research yeah. firm yeah. That's yeah. well no i wonder what you guys think about this though seriously like the um the um just the label piece i think that i think sometimes um i, I don't know i i think sometimes us attributing a, a label to something uh helps us identify it so we can correct it but sometimes labeling something gives it uh, a mark or a place in our life that it doesn't have to mm. have. But it's hard to figure out where that line's at. At least I experienced that. It's like, because some things you label and it's like, okay, that's identifiable now. Mm. We can we can overcome it. Yep. But sometimes you label it and it's like, well, that's kind of stuck here now. You yeah. know? And I, it's it's an interesting walk. I don't know if you guys have thoughts on that, but I, I've noticed that. I, I, I'm mentioning, I'm wanting to mention the flip side of the coin. That like, I, when you hear like, Hey, don't label things. You can be like, okay, I'm not going to label it. I don't think that's helpful because there are times when you should identify something to overcome it. But yeah, I mean, I think it, it, uh, probably depends on the person in the situation. Yeah, right? right. I mean, in a sense, like, uh, like if I want to cast out an evil spirit of anxiety, yeah, I want to be sure. able to label that. Yeah, <laughs> right? sure, sure, sure. Um, but, and I do think there is something about like knowing, okay, I'm, I'm going to break mm -hmm. a tie with this. Mm -hmm. Right. And mm -hmm. so there is something, but uh, you do you do that with an 11 or a 12 year old right, right? right and right. so that's that who, is who might question. just be like i my friend group is changing yeah and you know he, like and, just yeah, and, saying, and yeah, i'm kind of that's confused normal. about that that's i'm kind of confused that my friends aren't interacting with me the same way they once yep. did well that's not anxiety that means you're a teenage kid who has friends that are developing because you guys are in puberty like <laughs> like that there's just a i don't know how, you can see what i'm saying our I don't next need episode is gonna be on belabor puberty. the point brad's gonna lead it <laughs> no it's gonna be I, really I, good no i'm not gonna no. lead an episode <laughs> on puberty you, but. <laughs> I, I love the story of uh, maybe we could talk a little bit about what's the solutions right for loneliness and I, I love um, the story of the soul uh, Saint Therese's autobiography where she talks about her her um, childhood and mm -hmm. when she's uh, that middle school high school age and she starts to speak um, about this loneliness that she had at school uh, where she didn't feel like she fit fit in and she didn't have friends and um, and she said in that time 
her, she became such deep friends with Jesus and with the saints um, that she mm-hmm. had this profound realization that wherever she was, the community of the saints were with her. And I think it's so interesting that even in, in uh, we're never alone, right? And when we understand the body of Christ and we understand the community of saints, there's something so profound that in a relationship with Jesus, even in those moments in my bedroom where I'm as an adolescent mm-hmm. or, or my dorm room where I'm asking deep questions about life, if if I don't have a relationship with Jesus and with the community, mm-hmm. like if I, I always have someone to talk to when mm-hmm. I when I'm in relationship with the Lord, right? And imagine I can't I I honestly can't imagine this because I have always from my childhood have had the inner dialogue with Christ. Imagine if you didn't have an inner dialogue with Christ. What, where do, where does that dialogue, like, where do those thoughts, where do those, like, what do you do with all that Mm. stuff that's happening in your brain? And there's something so consoling Mm. and also so comforting and, and a presence of not feeling alone when I have those questions, even if I don't have a trusted adult that I can take them to, Mm -hmm. I have, I can take them to someone, right? Mm -hmm. And how do we foster that inner, that relationship with Jesus that allows a young person, as they go through the questions of life, no matter where they are, because it's impossible for me to be with every camper all the time. It's impossible yeah. for us to ever, a parent, to be with their mm-hmm. child all the time, to create that pattern where when I have questions, I have a person I can talk to about mm-hmm. them, mm-hmm. and his name is Jesus. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, t- two, yeah, just two quick observations. Uh, I see one impactful message that has transformed the ministry of Damascus, uh, that that seems to be gaining traction both with students and with adults. Yes, is is just that introduction into like the permission that you have to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. You know that mm-hmm. that that you can communicate with God in such a way that you can hear His voice in prayer. Yeah. That you don't. It doesn't have to be a one way street. Um, that's such a that's such a freeing message, and it's a message for all people and for all time. But mm-hmm. but it seems like right now God's really given us that thing and just said man, pour as much gas on this fire as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, the other the other question I have, which is totally something we probably don't need to jump into today, but I wonder how uh, the the success in ministry that we see and the and the the trends within within church and with that response actually respond specifically to these fears and to these mm-hmm. and to these weaknesses. Yeah, I, I think they yeah, I think they're direct directly related. I was just thinking about that in my, in my mind. Cause you were asking Dan, like, okay, so how, how do you teach people from a young age that, that there's a dialogue that they can have with yeah. these things? I mean, I think part of that ties in and it's interesting. Cause I, I, I see how it says like, they don't have a trusted adult to go to. So they feel lonely there. Well, sometimes I think we become untrustworthy as adults when we act like we have all the answers. Yeah. There, there's actually, there's a, a there's something here, uh, there's a correlation here, right? That that if a, a young person comes to me, and we teach our missionaries this, if a young person comes to you and asks a question you don't know, you're able to say, actually, that's such a good question. Let me look into that. Yeah. Or you know, you know who would have an answer to that? The church. You know who would have an answer to that? Jesus. Like teaching from like a, a time mm. that like there are things I don't know. Yeah. But not in a way that like doesn't keep the safeguards of safety around. I'm not saying to like just say everything you don't know out loud. But if there's a very specific moment to build trust, you can say like, actually, I don't know if I have the answer to that, but do you want to just like 
take a time just to give this to Jesus right now? Like, could you, like a, a five or six year old is not going to be like, no, I don't believe in that because I'm agnostic. It's like, no, like, mm-hmm. like, let's give that to Jesus right yeah. now. And then all of a sudden you're, you're, you're teaching that both of you need a dialogue, yeah. which I think innately makes you more trustworthy because yeah. they're able to go like, oh, they always have my good in mind. Yeah. Like even when they don't know, they have my good in mind. When they do know, they have my good. I don't know. No, it's, it's something there. I think that if I could say, yeah, the two things that were seen as the greatest fruits in our ministry is this idea, as you say, Aaron, how, teaching that young person how to hear God in prayer. Um, so I, mm-hmm. it's not, and I remember growing up, I was always just treat Jesus like a friend, right? But it, it, it's one thing to say to Jesus like a friend, because I'm going to talk to him. It's teaching me to talk to him, but it's not teaching me how to listen to him. And uh, that relational component, if I need mm-hmm. someone to go to and to be in relationship with, who I can hear, right? Like I need to teach them how to hear him. And mm-hmm. then secondly, hearing God in prayer, but then that second component of just like the power of adoration. There's this like young people, it, and mm-hmm. I would say it's like, it's becoming more and more like they're just craving Eucharistic adoration. Like yeah. mm-hmm. like older millennials, I think started this like love for Eucharistic adoration, but I would say younger Gen Zs are hungry for it even more. And mm-hmm. that, I, I think a part of that is just, well, I need a place to go to be with someone who I can trust. Mm-hmm. And so having that that I'm never alone because I can go to a church and be with Jesus in the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. I can go to adoration and, and discover Jesus present. And it's not this abstract concept that God is here for mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. but it's a very incarnational experience that God is here right right now for me. Mm-hmm. And um, they, hands down, mm-hmm. week after week, year after year, what's your greatest experience at Catholic Youth Summer Camp? Eucharistic adoration. Mm-hmm. Camper after camper, a universal experience that discovering Jesus's incarnational presence yeah. mm-hmm. dispels loneliness and allows them to experience mm-hmm. love. Another, so um, I know in certain experiences in ministry that I've seen and heard in the past, that too has been a highlight moment. But in many places, there's been almost a like a a building up and a production around this grand, uh, this grand production of Eucharistic adoration mm-hmm. as like the highlight moment, and and that is not what we're seeing at Damascus. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our our times of adoration they're accompanied. You know, they're they're uh, experienced often in silence. Um, mm-hmm. We do have we do have one night in particular. I just want to set the stage for context. Like we have one night in particular where we do have. A time of adoration outside by the lake, which is unique. You're not going to find that in your parish usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've got, we've got adoration in times of silence, and then we've got adoration in times of worship. But it's it's not as though um, we're hyping the kids up and saying, yeah. "Just wait, yeah, just wait until adoration night." You know, it's not it's not like a a key part of our programming that we've that we've created that. No, because the Lord comes in. Well, you you don't have to you don't have to overstimulate the young person's imagination. Yeah. It's already there. Mm. I was just thinking about this in the context of like, how many kids do we know that that had imaginary friends? Like, we're almost like wired for stuff like this. Like, like you make an imaginary friend. Why? Why? Because you knew you weren't meant to be alone. Yeah. And, and you make them in ways that they understand you. You yeah. make them in ways you're intrigued by. Like, because the saints are always around, mm-hmm. right? When you tell a young person, like, Jesus is going to come into the room and it's going to look like bread, but it's actually him. They're like... I pull out a chair for a tea party with my imaginary, like they can go to their imagination. Mm. And I think when we let their imagination go wasted, 
mm-hmm. and be um, run by the world instead of letting their imagination be yep. run by the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's like, let's use that. That is such a gift, well, you know? That's scary, but it doesn't that mean that we're like artificial creating all of those religious experiences? Right, 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 <laughs> right, right, right. Or it maybe. I mean, you could, you could probably make an argument there, but what I would say is, or you could look at it through the other light of we were made for the Lord and we were made for what's true. So by nature, we tend towards things that lead us towards a godly reality. Yeah. Like I am, I have imaginary friends because the saints are always around me. I'm desiring meaning mm. in my life because there is meaning to be found. Maybe, like, maybe the reality came first. Yes, exactly. Huh. Exactly. And I think mm. sometimes we get scared to even say that an argument can be made on the other end. It's like, no, I guess someone could come to me and say, yeah. well, Brad, you know, the saints, they're just kind of imaginary friends and that's cute. But then you, then you get educated and you yeah. Um, it's like, yeah, maybe. maybe. That is, that's, that's pretty prideful. That would suggest a hubris that I've outsmarted a, a not seen <laughs> reality. But you could probably make that. What I'm, what I'm, and I, I know that we do this with our our young people is like, man, you talk about potential of young people. They get this in a way we don't. Yeah. Yep. So how do we help them keep that? Yeah. Like, because that's what that that's what can form lifelong missionaries. And what yeah. marks every child is this idea to understand more than what's just right in front of you, right? To to be able to tap into the imagination and the Mm -hmm. mystery and Mm -hmm. uh, the, which intellectualism and Mm -hmm. it has sometimes crushed out of adults. It dispels mystery, but that's no fun. No. Man, it takes, it takes, it takes the excitement out of faith. I think think my my favorite way of of describing that reality is just to say that God's given us tools, right? That, that we use to interact with the world. Yeah. So we have bodies, we have minds, Mm -hmm. we have voices, we have ears, we have imaginations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, They're all functions at some level of our mind Mm -hmm. and intellect, right? Mm -hmm. Let's just give them back to him. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I'm I'm not going to question, does God have the capacity to communicate with me through Mm -hmm. this beautiful creation that I'm seeing with my physical eyes? Yeah. Yeah. Why would I question? Does God have the ability to communicate mm-hmm. with the with the with the imaginative reality of, That's of really the good. beauty of creation? Yeah, right. Yeah. It's just a different. It's a different way of. It's a different tool. I love that. I love that. All right. I have a question for you guys because I've pondered this and I haven't quite been able to put words to it. So, Aaron, you mentioned like adoration that is set up as this like emotional production versus mm-hmm. kind of what eh. we do here and uh, production, I, not not so much emotional, but yeah, yeah. yeah. I've seen. I, I guess what I've seen in different. Uh, executions of adoration at different times mm-hmm. um, is that sometimes adoration can become very, very emotional, right? Where everyone in adoration is just crying and they're hugging each other and they're like, yeah. they're snot flowing, sure. right? The, you've got the the lady passing out the tissues, the, facilitating mm-hmm. more hugs. The mark and, of success. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. <laughs> so definitely, I don't like that. I don't feel good in those moments, right? And then, and then there's <laughs> other times where you have adoration where... <clears throat> Um, you know, you bring the class into adoration and mm-hmm. everyone's in the chapel, but everyone looks bored out of their mind and mm-hmm. no one's actually mm-hmm. engaged. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're just like staring around. There's no, mm-hmm. what, what's, I can't figure out like, what is the difference? Like, why is it that ours doesn't collapse into this emotionalism and ours and that ours isn't filled with a bunch of boredom? Like, mm-hmm. because our young people they're it is so relational that truly is that all the focus is on Jesus and they're encountering him. And there's this dynamism of just genuine love for the Eucharistic Lord. And I, I'm like, what do we do different? Like what, what's setting the stage that makes that happen? Could it, could it be that we don't fear the extremes? 
I here here's an interesting thought. So I hear this like emotional production thing a lot, actually. I, I do hear it in different spaces or together. Sometimes it's like that was just an emotional experience, or that was just produced, or yeah. yoke them together. What was the transfiguration? <laughs> like, what was that? Mm-hmm. Was that so that that wasn't like a grandiose production? At all? None. <laughs> there was there was nothing extra, extravagant. Show off? Like no, there, of course there was. Like the I. We like, don't like to talk about mountaintop I think experiences. Yes, right, right, right. But like, but there are mountaintop experiences. So I get, I think I get frustrated sometimes yeah. when we try to make dichotomies in the church that just didn't exist in scripture. Yeah, not necessarily. They never, they never existed because that same Jesus that entered into a feeding trough very humbly, very plainly, in the middle of the night is the same Jesus who revealed his glory so much so that John at the beginning of his gospel goes, and we saw his glory. Like he wasn't, John wasn't just like, like, oh, this will be super poetic. He's like, no, I actually, I saw his glory and it was extravagant. And it's one of the first things I'm going to say in my gospel because it matters. And so for me, it's always been this like, okay, if we fear overproducing or if we fear making things over emotional, we're never going to do anything. If yeah. we fear making things way too boring, mm. like instead it's, it's Holy Spirit. What are you doing right now? Yeah. And what, how can we partner with that? Brad, right. Th- or is that just, oh, is that? No, I think, I think you're elementary? right. So, so you're focusing appropriately on what's the response. And I think I'm focusing on what's the manufacturing process. So like, okay, I can use lights and sounds and fog and, uh, yeah, sure. sleep deprivation, yeah, sure, to to sure, produce sure. something sure, in a child. Sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, that that's that's more of a psychological or a magic trick yeah, than I think. Of course, than I, I think trying to control. I would agree. A powerful that. move of God. Yeah. So, but you can't attribute. I guess what I'm trying to say is, but but you shouldn't immediately attribute any lights no. and any smoke no, no, and any music. And yeah. I think that's where the, in yeah. my opinion, I think that's where the line. So it'd be fun to do an episode on emotions and the, the role they play in our, cause that's one of the tools that God has given us. Just like he's given us Write the it down, Jack. E- e- imagination. <laughs> yeah. He's given us emotions in order to have a relationship. Yeah. With I him. just don't want to fear. I, I don't. Yeah. Um, yeah I, let, I don't. let me answer your question specifically. Yeah. Dan. So, so you were asking, what's the difference? Why, why do we think here that we're seeing this, um, I don't know, more appropriately, appropriately modeled. Um, I think it's, I think it's two things and they both have to go back to our, our missionary foundation. Mm-hmm. So uh, we are at Damascus. When we enter into those places, we are both modeling um, and pastoring. So uh, when something happens or when a kid experiencing experiences something that might be scary or might be challenging and or when a kid experiences something that might be laced with boredom or uh, lack of attention right yeah. that that kid is that a kid is is immediately pastored back into a place of appropriate response mm-hmm. so this is like this the, the idea of parenthood that that our, our purpose is to be able to uh, to take who you are and to help you learn to mm-hmm. moderate your emotions so that you can behave in a way that's that's responsible and appropriate yeah so, so our pastoral system is built to do that. And at the same time, we've got an incredibly deep bench in terms of modeling. We just yeah. ran the numbers yesterday. We, mm-hmm. we have, we have a, a camper to staff ratio here in the summers of 2.6 to 1. That is yeah. nuts. 2.6 to 1. So for, every, for, for yeah, every three campers that are here, there's one staff person who is in love with Jesus, 
who's modeling what it's like right. to live a to live a Catholic life in love with the Lord. And this is the solution that Springtide Research and Catholic News mm-hmm. uh, report was was putting forth is yeah. that Bingo. the 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 solution to the loneliness mm-hmm. is more trusted adults. Is a model. They, they actually pointed out that if if you had one to zero, zero to one mm-hmm. trusted adults, loneliness in your life was was extremely heightened, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And but if you had five plus trusted adults, that loneliness was was almost gone, right? Yeah. And that 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 need, and I think the um, a trusted adult can't simply be a lecturer, right? Mm-hmm. So it can't simply be, hey, this guy presents a homily every Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. That's not the definition of a trusted adult for a young mm-hmm. person, right? Mm-hmm. It can't, that it's someone who accompanies them and walks by their side and asks them questions about themselves mm-hmm. and is willing to listen to their thoughts and ideas. And uh, our, our camp experience is designed specifically, right, where those mm-hmm. those missionaries, that, that one to three ratio of missionaries... Which, which Maybe completely extreme. <laughs> yeah, is they're out there doing the activities with the campers. They're playing paintball. They're zip lining. They're they're socializing. There's yeah. so many that they're able to build natural relationship, yeah. which then allows their guard to be down mm-hmm. to build natural relationship with Jesus. And yeah. and I think that that missionary component is so and it's neat because they're they're a trusted adult, right? They're yeah. mm-hmm. eighteen plus, but they're still a young adult, and so they understand the questions mm-hmm. that the campers have. Yeah, and we teach our missionaries something that I think we would do well in the church to do, mm-hmm. and that's um, you help the young person continue to dive into the curiosity instead of giving them what you think is the answer that solves their problem yeah. because that keeps them attached to mystery, right? I-, I think that we've done a disservice to the young generation wanting to do good by every time they come to us having a pre-scripted answer that doesn't actually answer it sufficiently. Hmm. But we feel good because it's an answer. But then as they get older, they're like, that answer wasn't, f- that wasn't a full answer. Yep. You know, and then they distrust because they're like, you kept giving me these answers and they're not full answers. And science is giving me more answers. We see this all the time in young adults. Mm-hmm. But I think something to where like if a young person brings this, even if you know it's off a little bit, like, yeah, why, why, do, you, why, why do you think that is? Yep. Or what makes you think that way? What did you see that took you there? And then, and then guiding, like question asking in a way that guides back to the right mm-hmm. route, yep. but one that doesn't just say, you're on the wrong route, here's the right route. Yep. Because then eventually they're like, no, I still think my route was kind of right, you know? But now I'm 18 instead of 13, and I don't know if I trust you anymore. Yep. It's like, no, that, that, let's, let's help you get to that mystery yep. and to those... I mean, there are answers, obviously. Tradition and scripture give us answers, but anyway. Yeah, you got to walk with them to discover yeah. those. And the, the so clearly, this is going to be two episodes. We're going to talk about today, we talked about loneliness. I want to talk about distrust as well. And then on the next episode, we'll talk about this religious complexity of the young mm-hmm. church. But the the first one of loneliness and distrust, they kind of go hand in hand and they have yeah. the same solution, right? They need to have a community that they can trust and they need to have trusted yep. adults, mm-hmm. right? And so the second big part of the the uh, the research was that Gen Z's struggle with loneliness and they also are living in a world of incredible distrust, right? It was funny that uh, the article had this chart where it's a Gallup poll that shows people's confidence in institutions from 1970 mm-hmm. to 2021. So over this like 
50 year period what's happened and it's just they you know they go through like the medical system in 1970 80% trust in the medical system today 38% trust right so uh, they it went down 42 percentage points mm-hmm. right well it, Brad your favorite was Congress it went from yeah. 42% to 7%, 7 and you're like 7. what's the margin of error there if it's plus or minus 3 that could be 4% to 10% yeah, so exactly. like, so there's slow. not much trust um, but in organized religion it went from 65% to 31 percent right, right? No, right and and you right. realize and you see that most of this declined in, in all mm. of these institutions right after 2000 mm-hmm. right when the media went crazy or uh media is one of them tele- televised news right 46 percent down to 11 percent trust right. and so the our generation the millennials and the gen xers the generation above us and the mm-hmm. baby boomers they over these 50 years were we are asking all of these questions and we're not trusting, which mm-hmm. is probably merited, right? Yeah. Or, or at least that's what my distrust would say. <laughs> yeah, sure. um, and But we're passing that on to these kids yeah. as well. And so they're hearing that around the dinner table, around the home, around the uh, around the news. So mm-hmm. you're scrolling that uh, your news feed on, on your social media app mm-hmm. and the anxiety comes from, I have no idea anymore what is true and what is false. And so there's this incredible distrust. And so they need those trusted adults, Mm -hmm. right? And they need those missionaries. They need those uh, parishioners. They need moms and dads, Mm -hmm. older siblings who walk with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, What else do they need? Like, how can we build their trust? Well, we have to ask ourselves, like, what, what merited the distrust here in the first place? Is it that we now are told the imperfections of people? Are we surprised that people are imperfect? Like, mm-hmm. I think sometimes it, it's just that, like, we used to presume goodness in things we couldn't see. Now we're shown everything and we see the flaws in it. Mm. Right? Like, I'm I'm not so sure that I'm not so sure that the operations of a government are any different than they were 50 years ago. I'm not so sure that the operations of the medical system are all that different than they were 50 years ago. It's just now every single imperfection that is within the system is highlighted, magnified, and given to me. And then all of a sudden, I have the natural human response of, well, that's not trustworthy. But like, there's something in that that's like, yeah, that might merit it, maybe. It's almost like what we were talking about earlier, that that it's almost like the... the uh, the extreme response has been amplified. Mm-hmm. So when somebody's great, they become a, a YouTube celebrity. But mm-hmm. the moment that somebody fails, they're they're canceled, right? Yeah. That that all of a sudden, like our, our tolerance for mm-hmm. mercy has just diminished dramatically. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's uh, and mercy is a huge part of it, right? Yeah, because it's cancel culture. Mm-hmm. One mistake and the person's thrown out forever. And I think it is because there was the lack of integrity in the past, right? Mm-hmm. So integrity in our culture used to be highly valued. And yeah. then when the collapse of integrity happened, I think the mm-hmm. extreme was now any mistake we throw right. them out. And I think there is that need to... It's it's interesting because on the one hand, I think you guys are dead on. We need to have greater mercy, and mm-hmm. we need to be a, a people of mercy, right? And on the other hand, we need to have greater integrity and allow um, our our lives to reflect what we say. And um, that's a good word. I mean, I love the Paul the Sixth, Pope Paul the Sixth. He wrote um, in 1962. He mm-hmm. wrote Modern Man. So this is Modern Man in 1962, before the rapid decline of uh, <laughs> of trust in society. Mm-hmm. Modern Man. Um, 
listens more willingly to witnesses than to teachers. And if they listen to teachers, it's because they are first and foremost witnesses. witnesses. And mm-hmm. I think that that written all those years ago is even more mm-hmm. r- a reality today, yeah. that modern man listens to witnesses. And young people are going to listen to witnesses mm-hmm. more than teachers, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. And so they they filter through the lies, the deception, the, the inconsistencies pretty quick. And I think they're actually really, really good at filtering through, maybe even better than we are, because mm-hmm. they've seen so many inconsistencies as they've grown mm-hmm. up that they're mm-hmm. able to filter through and they're just like, what's authentic? Yeah. What's a real witness? And, and when they find a real witness of Christ, mm-hmm. it's captivating, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Yeah. Well, and I, I also think that the, the collapse of integrity, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that's what happens when we start talking about the world as if it's just like power games that like, um, they're all trying to get power over me. So I have to fight for power for me right now at all costs that might help for like a moment, maybe, but over time, that's just like bad strategy for long-term success. Mm. Like the way you succeed long-term is by building trustful people around you that let you know when you're off course and help you stay on the right course, you know, and power dynamics don't allow that. And, and power dynamics do play. And, and what I'm trying to say is I think we have preached a false gospel to our young generation in the world. We've told them that the entire world is out for power over you. So you need to take a stand and fight for power for you. That's not how the world works. It's not like all the corrupt people that are going for power. Let's just use the extreme. We don't admire them. Like you don't admire them. You don't want to become Stalin. Like you don't, you don't want to become Mao in China. Like you don't want that. So like, do you want to become president Trump? No, I just had I just had to no, throw it I out there because you're mentioning no, dead no, no, people. It's Let's good, <laughs> it's good, it's good. No, I don't. Well, in the, but the but the reason there is because like at the end of the day, we've set up a system that I think honors lack of integrity. I, I think it honors words that don't match action. It honors narrative. It honors mm-hmm. the extreme. Yeah, marketing ploys. Yeah, but w- the most authentic person is the person who, when they mess up, can say it. Mm-hmm. But nowadays we would make that so extreme that you would feel like you could never trust them again. So integrity and mercy have to be exactly, hand in that, hand. That's exactly it's, where I'm going. Yeah, because I, 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 if I have integrity, I can honestly say, hey, mm-hmm. I, I messed up there. Yes. And I can believe that people are going to be merciful. It was my favorite that. social media post of all time. It said the, um, oh man, I'm going to have to paraphrase it. I wish I, I could remember it. But it was um, ultimately like the, the, the bad news of the modern world. Yeah. And it, it was that... Um, uh, nothing is forbidden. Nothing is forgivable. No one is redeemable. Well, say it again. So (laughs) I'm going to try to. So it it was the, the bad news of, of the modern, uh, world is that, um, nothing is forbidden, but nothing is forgivable and no one is redeemable. The good news of the ancient gospel of Jesus Christ, not everything is permitted. Mm -hmm. So there are things forbidden. Everyone is forgivable and everything is redeemable. Well, yeah. Isn't that, it's crazy to think that because yeah. that, that's exactly this tie together between integrity and mercy that yes, like there are things that are outside the bounds of how you should act Yeah. and concupiscence will sometimes take you there, but then it's, I'm forgivable and this is redeemable, right? But, but we've made it to where you get so bludgeoned that it actually honors lack of integrity. Yeah. I'm just going to make it seem like I was right the whole time, yeah. which uh, it plays on both sides to. of the political aisle. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why when you ask about Trump or even if you would ask about Biden on both sides, it's like, no, cause they're so, um, 
they're just swimming in water that I think it, it honors lack of integrity. You have to make sure everyone believes you were right no matter what. Yeah. And you're not right no matter what. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, that's my that's my two cents. I, I love it. This is awesome. There's so many things that are Can just Can you bring us home for this episode in my, yeah, in my heart? Uh so the key word that just is striking me right now is family, right? That that we have we have seen a marked decline. You brought up Pope Paul the Sixth. Pope Paul the Sixth prophesied in in uh Humana Vitae, right? That the the scourge that the world would would succumb to would be would be ultimately represented through the breakdown of family. And it, it just seems it seems so evident that both of these indications of of this uh, of a, a lack of a lack of trustworthy adults, like that's the crisis in in fatherhood and motherhood and parenthood, right? Yep. That that we exist in a place where family the the basic family structure is being broken down. Name it whatever you want. Name it. Name it sexuality. Name it uh, divorce. Name it abuse. Right. All of those things are reflective of the fact that the the thing that's supposed to be stable in my life has been has been broken down through a systematic, demonic attack mm-hmm. on the integrity of the way that God designed families to operate. And what's the function of that? Well, that's or what's good. the response to that? Of course, is that community naturally follows. Right. Mm-hmm. Community can't. Community authentic community cannot exist without authentic parents. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, and, and adults to, to actually lead the way. So it just makes, I don't know, I think it makes perfect sense. I didn't expect to go there over the course of this conversation, mm-hmm. but uh, really good. we have a saying here at Damascus that, that in order to be a real leader, you have to lead, lead like a father and mother. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm just, I'm seeing all of that really connect in a way that, that I think is, is worth, worth spending some time digging well, into. Well, and that builds trust. Yeah. Right, yeah. like the, the the fundamental identity of our faith is that we're in the family of God, which allows me to trust Him. Yeah, because He wants to bring me close. He, he doesn't want to dupe me. Yeah. He doesn't want to outsmart me. He doesn't want to like overpower me. He wants to live in and through me. Like He wants to catch me up in His life. Like that. There's an innate trust that comes yeah. with an I don't know altruism's light, but a loving Father. Well, and maybe here's the hope, right? That that what we're seeing right now is a dramatic, exaggerated breakdown of what happens in our home. Yep. And that's something that you have influence over. Correct. Yeah, that's so so regardless of who's listening today, Operation. you know, you have the capacity to on mission be a be a good mom, be a good dad, be yes. a good brother, be a good sister, be a good son, be a good daughter. And and as mm. I don't know, as reductionist as maybe it seems, that's that's where transformation is the has building to happen. Block it's in a building block. Yeah, it's a it's where everything comes. I love that. All right, we're going to um, this is going to be a two part episode, so we'll dive into the religious complexities and confusions of Gen Z in our mm-hmm. next episode. So you've been listening Beyond Damascus, this, the show where encounter meets mission. If you've enjoyed this episode, we definitely want you to share it with others and listen to our next episode because it's going to be good. And um, why don't we close in prayer? Sounds great. Aaron. Yeah, name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, God, we put ourselves at your uh, service, um, Jesus, and we're desperate for the way that you're going to pour into our lives. Teach us how to be solution-minded and teach us how to be the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I pray that even now as we as we listen to this show, you would not only just convict us of the brokenness in the world, but you'd begin that process of healing the wounds that are preventing us from... Uh, from pouring into others and to receiving the love poured out by others. Mm-hmm. God, we pray for strengthening in families and communities in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the name, name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. We want to thank St. Gabriel Radio for sponsoring us in this show, and we want to encourage all of you uh, to live life like family. 
Amen. God bless.